Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Saturday, January the 22nd, 2022. It is currently 10.58 a.m. Central Time. And once again, I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And I I need to jump right in. I, I need to shorten my introduction as much as possible because in the previous podcast episode that I just did, Christian Podcast Spotlight Part 3, I did basically a 17-minute intro, which really hurt the quality of that episode because it took away from the from what we really needed to do. So let me just be brief. We are in this series. I am turning the spotlight on different Christian podcasts that I need want you to subscribe to. I've already given you a number of them. Currently, we've turned the podcast, we've turned the spotlight on the Christian podcast from Hiles Anderson College. The reason we are putting the spotlight on this particular podcast is because I like listening to what's going on in Bible colleges and seminaries all over the country. Whether I agree or disagree with them, I like hearing what they're saying to the next generation of pastors. I like hearing what that next generation of pastors is hearing, what they're hearing in chapel, what they're learning, how they're being influenced, because that gives me some insight to where the church may be going. So I subscribe to all kinds of podcasts that originate at different Bible colleges and seminaries, and I would challenge you to do the same. I've chosen Hiles Anderson because it really represents kind of the independent fundamental Baptist stream of theology. Even though it's not, that's not the most mainstream form of theology right now, it's still prevalent out there. And so I like to hear what's going on there. I don't agree with all of their doctrine and theology. I'm very aware that Hiles Anderson College has been involved in its fair share of controversy and scandal. So it's not like I agree with everything going on there, but I like to hear what's happening. Uh, young people are there. Young people are being trained for ministry. What's happening? What are they learning? That's what we're doing. So we're listening to a recent a message preached at chapel at Hiles Anderson College, which is located in Indiana. And um, it's about what he is talking about is legalism, legalism versus license. And he's really working through the book of Galatians. I'm not going to go back and review everything we did in the last part. You should definitely go back and listen. I think there are some very interesting things he is discussing. But right now, we're just going to jump right back into the sermon because we want to finish it. Legalism versus license. How do you define legalism? What is legalism actually? He's getting ready to make a very interesting point that legalism is not defined by where you draw the line. It's your attitude towards the line, which is a very interesting perspective. And so, yeah, if, if, I, had, if I had a bunch of people here in the sanctuary this Saturday morning, I would probably stop the sermon right now and go, okay, guys, let's discuss this. And I would have everyone go around the, the sanctuary telling me what their definition of legalism is and what do they think it means that legalism is not defined by the line you draw, but your attitude towards the line. Could they explain what that means and what does that look like practically? So it would be, it would be a great discussion. Uh, maybe, maybe what I'll do is in the Discord channel, I may throw out some of these questions in the Discord channel and see how many people want to participate there. And if you want to be a part of the Discord uh, Theology Central channel, some good conversations happen there. Just email me, newsif at yahoo.com, and I'll send you a link. 
and then you can be a part of it. If you're coming there to just simply argue and debate, that's not what we really want. We want it to be a place of exhortation, encouragement, and and learning um, and and challenge, not just a place of never-ending debate. There's a thing called social media if we wanted to do that. So it's a a place to just have a a good, humble discussion about doctrine and theology uh, and and challenging one another in in the right kind of spirit. So um, I may throw some of this out there because uh, I think it will be an interesting conversation. But let's let's continue. See, I'm going to turn this into a 17-minute intro if I'm not careful. Let's go. We're, we're, We're taking a trip to Indiana. It's probably too cold for me. So I'm going to stay here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. You guys get in your car and go, and I'll just listen to what happens online. Okay, no, we're going to take a a virtual trip to Chapel at Hiles Anderson College. There's all the college kids. They're there. They're listening. Let's listen in with them. Let's see what's going on. What is the next generation of pastors being taught about legalism? Because that will be the the views of legalism in the future. What the what the what this the new generation of pastors are being taught today will become the dominant view of the church in the future. That's kind of the way it works. That's why I love listening to podcasts that originate from Bible colleges and seminaries. Here we go. Okay, so God, uh, what Paul is saying here is, you guys have gotten to another gospel, which different. It's different which is not another. That's another of the same kind. So what he's saying is, you got after a gospel that's another of a different kind. It's a different kind of gospel, which is not another of the same kind. Okay, so the gospel he's talking about, the legalism, he's going to just help us understand is not Bible gospel. It's different. Now, not only do we see it's different, the rest of the verse says, which is not another, but there be some which trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. The word pervert there literally has the idea of reverse or turn to the opposite. So a heteros gospel is an opposite gospel, okay? So the true gospel says you get saved by faith. A false gospel says you get saved by works. See, a true gospel tells you as a Christian that you live the Christian life by trusting Jesus. A false gospel says you live the the Christian life by trusting yourself, see? I think that's an important point. As a Christian, how do you live your Christian life? By trusting in Jesus or in a sense by trusting in yourself, by trusting in what you do? How do you live your how do you live your Christian life? Looking to what Christ did and placing your faith in that finished work, or do you live the Christian life and examining and testing what you do and then determining if you're doing enough so that you know that you're saved? Right? I mean these become these are important theological issues, right? and we already heard this. I, I backed it up just a little bit. So we're, again, I just we just have to jump in uh, because uh, well, we'll never finish. All right, here we go. See, they're opposite gospels. Now it's important for you to understand that legalism has nothing to do with the line you draw. Many times, the definition of a legalist is this: anybody who's stricter than I am, that's a legalist. That is not a good definition. A legalist. Is not that legalism is not determined by the line you draw. Legalism is determined by your attitude toward the line. You could take now this this to me has been the most fascinating part. Again, legalism is not defined by the line you draw, but your attitude towards that line. All right, now I hope he I hope he really fleshes this idea out. I hope he gives us some illustration so that I can really understand what he is saying. Because I think so many times we define legalists, well, look, they say you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, 
They're legalist. Oh, wait, are they legalist based off the line they're drawing or are they a legalist based off their attitude towards their said line? So ignore the line. What is their attitude towards the line? That's what he is saying. Let, let's see if we can, if we agree or disagree with this. Let, let, let's continue. Somebody who's loosey-goosey and they're legalistic. Why? Because the line they draw, they have the wrong attitude toward it. And you could take somebody who's very conservative who is not a legalist at all because of their attitude toward the line. You see that? So legalism is not the line you draw. It's your attitude toward the line. In a moment, we're going to find out what that attitude looks like because that's what the Apostle Paul is exercised about. Okay, so it's an opposite gospel. Now, if you go down to the last part of chapter number two, we'll show you a little bit of that opposites as we try to line out. And of course, if you didn't hear the last part, he is in Galatians chapter one. He's made references to verse six and seven. Now he's going to the end of Galatians chapter two. I apologize. I just assumed that, you know, everyone heard the, the first part. So if you didn't, now you know exactly where we are. All right, here we go. He is talking to believers here. It's very obvious he's talking to believers. Now you'll see he argues from salvation backwards. We'll see that here in a moment, uh, kind of salvation then into the Christian life. But look, if you would please, at verse number 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Let me just simply say, the divine means for salvation is grace, and the divine means for the false gospel is the law. See, they're opposites. Law and grace are opposites. Then he gets into chapter number three, and he begins to turn the corner, and he begins to ask some very probing questions. I'm going to ask you the questions and ask you to answer them to try to get a little bit of the flow here. We'll begin in verse number two. He says, this only what I learn of you. Received you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? I got a question for you. How did you get saved? By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And the answer is the hearing of faith. Boy, don't be so hesitant on that, man. I'm going to have to bring you. I'll stop for a moment. It says hearing of faith. And then he says, are you so foolish? Don't answer that one. Okay, here we go. Next one. Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And the answer is no. You're not made perfect by the flesh. So what this you're de dealing with here, don't want you to, to miss this. Look and I just have to throw, uh, throw in there. How did you become righteous? By what you do or by an imputed righteousness? I think this is very important when we're dealing with legalism and license. It's just remember, the Christian life is determined by the righteousness that you receive by faith. The reason I know I'm saved is I am perfect and I have perfect righteousness that's been imputed to me. My salvation cannot be determined by what I do or don't do because that would be looking to something other than the imputed righteousness. The imputed righteousness doesn't make me righteous practically, it is just accredited to my account. I am declared to be righteous, even though I am still a sinner. That is imputed righteousness. So I don't become righteous by what I do. I don't become perfect by what I do. I am perfect and righteous because of what Christ did. And, and by faith, that is imputed unto my account. That is my position before God, right? And that does not, is not impacted by anything else because, well, it's given to me by Christ, by faith, by grace, not by works. Legalism is flesh dependence. It's depending on your flesh to grow to Christian maturity in the Christian life. So I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, right over here on this side, all of you on this side, I'm going to ask you to be the legalist today. Would you do that for me? So I'm going to say legalism is, and I want you to say 
flesh dependence. Can you do that? If you're not sure you can, just depend on your flesh. Okay, let's, let's see if we can do it. Okay, so legalism is? Not too bad, okay. So legalism is flesh dependence. So legalism is when you and your Christian life look to yourself to try to, to, to do what only God can do like we talked about last night. Now I want you to stop for a moment and think about this. How much self-dependence can a seeking sinner have before he can't get saved? So how much self-dependence, here's somebody who wants to get saved, they're a seeking sinner, they want to get saved, how much self-dependence can that seeking sinner have before they can't get saved? Just way too much self-dependence. And the answer is any amount. So how about this one? How much self-dependence can a seeking saint have who wants victory? Been defeated, wants victory. How much self-dependence can a seeking saint have who wants victory? And before they can't, they won't have victory. They'll be defeated. So how much self-dependence can you have? And the answer is any amount. So legalism is self-dependence. That's why we talked about last night the 0-100, because if you have any amount of self-dependence, you end up on the wrong side of the theological continental divide, and you'll be in defeat. You'll be discouraged. There won't be a lot of answers to prayer. There'll be defeat because the flesh profits, the Bible says, nothing. Did you hear that? The flesh profits nothing. Ah, that's why the Apostle Paul says, have no confidence in the flesh. Have no confidence in the flesh in Philippians chapter number 3. Okay, so you're seeing that. Okay, now let's move then, if you would please, to Galatians chapter 5. We're taking a rocket ride through this thing, so you're doing a good job. So get me to Galatians chapter number 5. And of course, chapters 3 and 4 are doctrinal apologetic that are helping us understand that sanctification is by faith. Okay, it's not by the works of the law, it's... Now, this gets into an interesting discussion. What does sanctification by faith look like versus a sanctification by the flesh? Am I sanctified simply by putting, by putting my faith in Christ or am I sanctified in things I do? We, in reform circles... It becomes a discussion between a monergistic sanctification versus a synergistic sanctification. Monergistic sanctification is God does the sanctifying. It's all him. It's not us. It's, it's all him. Synergistic is that sanctification is a work of two. God is working in us, but then we have a responsibility of what we do. Bible reading, you know, mortifying the flesh, doing those things, you know, putting on the, the whole armor of God. So... W- what is a sanctification by faith versus a sanctification by flesh? What, what is the difference between the two? What does it look like? And do you know the difference? And which one are you relying on for your sanctification? These are, these are important questions to try to figure out. I'm, I'm interested to see how much he's doing a lot of, he's doing a very good job of, of kind of bringing up all of the concepts. My concern is, is he going to flesh any of this out? Because if he doesn't flesh it out, then we've just been like, he just poured a bunch of concepts all over the floor and we're like, okay, now what do we do with all of this? I'm hoping he's going to put these together and we're going to get kind of a picture of ex- exactly what he's, he's talking about. Let, let's continue. By faith. Now that faith produces action like we talked about last night, Peter getting out of the boat, trusting God to enable him to do what he never could do unless God could enable him to do it. We talked about the... So now here we go. So it's a sanctification by faith, but that faith will produce action. So what he's, it seems like what he's trying to draw the distinction is a sanctification by faith is, it is action. It's a sanctification that the actions are produced by the faith 
versus a sanctification of the flesh is where it's just the flesh doing it without faith. But then that, you see, the, you see how, how does that really work in the practical way? Are you saying there's Christians running around there trying to sanctify themselves and they don't have faith? Wouldn't, if anyone's a Christian, they would have to have faith by definition or they're not a Christian. So are there lost people out there trying to sanctify themselves? Like that becomes... Hey, you're sanctified by faith. Now, remember that faith produces actions. So there will be actions, but it's produced by faith. Well, so then you have to ask yourself every time you do something, am I doing this because of faith or am I doing this? Like, what is the motivation for me? Like, okay, I'm going to read my Bible today. What is the motivation? And then you got to sit there and go, okay, before I read, am I doing this because of the flesh or am I doing this because of faith? Like, I don't know. What's the practical value in that? I, I don't know. That, that just seems like that could lead to more confusion. But let, let's continue. Christian life being impossible, all of that is very important to understand as we continue to walk, work through this. Okay, so let's go to chapter 5 and verse number 1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, God is simply saying that there are three options when it comes to the Christian life. Legalism, liberty, or license. Every single young person out here is either living right now in legalism or liberty or license. The only way, three ways to live the Christian life. Now, that's interesting. Three, only, only three ways to live the Christian life. Legalism, liberty, or license. Legalism, liberty, or license. Now, if that's the only three ways to live the Christian life, that means every person who hears this podcast, whether it's Hiles Anderson or my review of said podcast, so that you're aware of it, that you'll go subscribe to it, well, then you have to think about this. Every person who hears this, if they claim to be a Christian, they are either living their Christian life in legalism or within liberty or within license. Now, we are going to need very clear, distinct definitions of what this looks like and what this means so that we can identify and then figure out how to fix it. What, is it. what does it look like if you're living your Christian life in legalism? What does it look like if you're living your Christian life in liberty? And what does it look like if you're living your Christian life in license? What, what does that look like? Because we need to clearly understand. That's a big claim that, hey, every Christian, you're living your Christian life in one of these three ways. That this, this really encompasses every professing Christian. All right, that... Let, let's, let's see what this looks like. Now, you say, what's liberty? Liberty is what we talked about last night. Now, don't miss this. Liberty is not the liberty to do what you want to do. Liberty is the desire and the power and the liberty to do what he wants us to do. See, that's liberty. So liberty is living a Christian life. Now, I got to slow down here because I get nervous, okay? So liberty is the, is the desire and, and he seems to say the ability to do what God wants you to do. Now, this seems to indicate that you, as a Christian, now have the ability to do what God wants you to do. Well, if you have the ability to do what God wants you to do, then theoretically, that means you now have the ability to be perfect. And immediately, I'm going to raise my hand and go, no, 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 no. We don't have the ability to do what he wants us to do. Because if we had the ability to do it, then we would be perfect. And no one is perfect. So clearly, there's a limit to that ability. Is Either the ability is that you can do everything God wants you to do, or either that ability is that you can't do everything God wants you to do. God says, be ye holy as I am holy. 
I don't think any Christian possesses that ability to do so. Even the Apostle Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And then he goes on to say that with the mind, he serves the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He still seems to indicate the struggle. So when we say that living in liberty is the desire, the freedom, the ability to do what God wants you to do, seeming to indicate that anyone who, can, who is living within liberty can live a life of sinless perfection. And if you say, no, 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 it's not about being sinlessly per- perfect. Well, then, isn't that what God calls us to do? Be holy as I am holy. That would be sinless perfection. That's what he wants. That's what he commands. So then, like, you've got to explain. It's, it's so easy to preach. Hey, you can do what God wants you to do. <laughs> However, you can't do it perfectly. Well, then that means I can't. Like, what? <laughs> oh, this drives me crazy. Now, this is just not a, uh, an independent fundamental Baptist problem. This is a Christian problem in every stream of theology. I, I hear it over and over. Well, you get saved. Now you can follow God. Now you have the ability. Now you have the power. Okay, so that can be perfect. Well, no, 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 no. You can't be perfect. So you're saying whatever ability or power or freedom I have, there's a limit to it. Well, if there's a limit to it, then stop telling everyone you have the freedom and the power and the ability to live a, 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 the, you know, a, an obedient Christian life because you've already acknowledged that I can't do it perfectly. So then that's not a, that's not, that's a limited ability. That's not a complete ability. That's a limited freedom. That's not complete freedom. So, so maybe we need to be more careful because see, we say it the wrong way. Then Christians are like, young Christians are like, that's it. I'm going to live in liberty today. So there's some, you know, some, some young person sitting in chapel there in in Indiana, writing it probably in their journal. I am going to live in liberty. I'm going to live because I have the ability and the freedom to do what God calls me to do. And then about six days later, they're going to realize they just fell into 15 different sins and they're going to start questioning that freedom and that ability, which will typically lead them to start questioning their salvation or questioning whether Christianity is even true. Because you want to. See, liberty's not this. Liberty's not giving up in the morning and said, well, I'm a student here at Isles Anderson. I got to dress a certain way. What a bummer. You know, I can't wear this or I can't have this haircut or I can't go here. What a bummer. Can't watch that movie. What a bummer. That's not liberty. Liberty is not. Please note that Isles Anderson has some strict rules for their students. They have some strict rules. I mean, like if you're not used to that world and you you look up their rules, you'd be like, what in the world is that? Okay. So he's saying liberty is 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 different than than this. All right, let's let's see what he how he defines it. Not watching stuff that grieves the Holy Spirit, not dressing in a way that's conformed to the world, and loving it. See, that's liberty. Liberty is doing what God wants you to do because you want to. You're free from self. You're free from a love for the world. And you're free to do what God wants you to do. It's really the 0-100. See, please, you're free. Now, now I, I, I can agree that liberty is you wanting to do what God wants you to do. You are trying to do what God wants you to do. That, that you have the liberty 
that you're at liberty, to, that, that liberty is a desire and a, and a want to do what God wants you to do. But to say that you're free, you're free to do what God wants you. You're at liberty. You've been set free. You can now do what God wants you to do. And Christians preach this all the time. You're free. You've been set free from sin. Oh, I've been set free from sin. So the, the old nature has been eradicated. Well, no, the old nature is still there. Then how am I free from it? Can I be, can I live a sinless life? Well, no, then I'm not free. Like, can we, can we come up with a new definition? You're free, but you're not free. <laughs> okay. You're, you're so free, but you, you're not free enough from sin. Well, then why are you telling me that I'm free? Like, can Christians figure this out? I, look, I've struggled with this my whole Christian life because I keep here. I hear all of these. We sell Christianity. It's, it's like Christianity in many cases, preachers. We're like used car salesmen. Hey, this car is amazing. This car is awesome. And, and but we, we, we hide the truth, right? We hide the truth. Hey, come to Christ. You'll be completely set free from sin and you have the freedom to live for God because you've been set free. However, read the fine print. You still have a sinful nature. You can't be sinless. You can't be perfect. And you're still going to sin. But you're free. You're free. You're free. You're free. However, however, read the small print. It's like, it's kind of like the, the, the commercials for lots of medications on television. Hey, this medication will absolutely get rid of your headaches. This medication will absolutely fix your stomach problems. However, in a number of tests, it also caused death and this and this. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. What, what was that? They say it really quick at the end. Yeah. And some studies, people suffered this and this and this and this. They suffered, suffered bleeding from the eyes. They, they passed out. They had seizures. But, 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 but you're going to feel wonderful. And you're like, I don't know if it's worth that risk. Okay. It's kind of like, hey, come to Christ. You'll be free. However, you still have a sinful nature and you'll still sin, but you'll be free. And, and I've, I've literally had Christians get frustrated with me like, no, 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 no. You're telling me that we can't follow the commandments of God. And I, whenever people get mad at me, I'm like, just prove to me that you can live an absolutely sinless life. And then if you're around those people or talk, talk to those people or chat with those people, you'll be like, wait a minute. That seems to be an ungodly attitude. That doesn't seem to be a very biblical perspective. And you're like, wait a minute, that, that seems to be a sinful attitude. Or you just gossip. And, and, but, but no, 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 no. They're free to, and it's like, uh, they, they so want to de defend this concept that they're free to live a Christian life and, and to live basically perfect. But they, they, they're more worried about defending the concept than simply carrying it out. Don't argue, just prove that you're perfect. They say, well, nobody can be perfect. Then you're not free. <laughs> okay? I, I, it's like a parent saying, hey, kids, you're free to do whatever you want. However, you need to be home by 10 p.m. However, you can't go to that person's house. However, you can't, you, you can't drink. Wait a minute, mom. I thought you said, well, you're free, but there's limitations to said freedom. <laughs> okay. Hey, you're free to live for God, but you can't do it. Okay, well then, am I really free? Like I, I that I don't. I th this is where I have major issues with lots of Christian theology because they just make these claims that they they will immediately backtrack on five seconds later. So he's really putting this liberty thing there. Hey, you're you have the 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 freedom to to do what God tells you to do. All right, sounds good. But okay, so over here, let's try it again. Legalism is. Less dependence.
And of course, we're going to come back to liberty in a moment, exactly how it relates to the flesh. But that brings us to another, the, uh, one of the ditches. Go to verse number 13 now. Verse number 13, it says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. Now over here, I want you to see something, friends, because this is really amazing. Here are the people talking about liberty. God says there's people who use the word Christian liberty, but they use it as a cloak to do what they want to do. So the Bible says liberty can be an occasion to the flesh. People saying, hey, listen, I'm into Christian liberty, but they're using the word to simply mean that I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to feed the flesh. Now I'm going to ask you a question. If somebody in the name of liberty is indulging their flesh, is it true liberty? And the answer is no. You don't miss this. It's counterfeit. It's counterfeit. Now, over here, understand legalism is opposite. It's the opposite gospel. You know, opposites are generally easy to understand, easy to pick up. Even some of us guys who are kind of on the dense side, if um, when you get married, your wife says, could you go in the kitchen and get the iced tea? And there's a glass of iced tea and there's a cup of hot tea. We can figure that out. Opposites are pretty easy to figure out. Counterfeits on the other side are a lot harder, aren't they? See, I have in my wallet here this morning, I have a, um, a bill from Canada. I think it's a Canadian $20, because I can't find it right now, but I have a Canadian $20 bill. You say, why in the world would you carry a $20 bill from Canada? The answer is, so I can go to Tim Hortons when I cross the border. That's how. Okay. So, but anyway, so uh, now if I tried to pass it off to uh, somebody here in the U.S., they wouldn't take it. Why? Because it's opposite. It's not even like American currency. It's kind of plastic. You can't even rip it. It's totally different than American currency. But if I had a counterfeit bill, that might be a lot easier to pass off, especially if it was a good counterfeit. See, opposite is a way easier to de determine than counterfeit. Now, in the Bible, does the Bible teach us that you can take good words that describe the true gospel and turn them to mean something else. Does the Bible tell us that can happen? And the answer is, yeah, it does. See, the word liberty can be turned to mean flesh indulgence. How about the word grace? Does the Bible say you can turn grace to mean something it's not? And the answer is, yeah, it does. The Bible says there are going to be people who are going to use the word grace, but they're going to turn it to lasciviousness. In other words, they're going to turn it to indulge what they want to do in the name of grace. Does the Bible say the word faith can be used and not mean what it should mean? And the answer is, well, yeah. The Bible says to say, if a man say he have faith and have not works. Okay, so somebody can say they're a man of faith. Hey, I'm a, I'm a, 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 a of course, I'm, I'm talking about a Christian now. They can say, I believe in God, I'm trusting God. But if they don't back it up with obedience, depending on God to enable them to do what they can never do unless they enable them to do it, God says that's not real faith, that's dead faith. You see? Now, here we go back now. Now, th this, this is becoming, it starts off so good, and now it's starting to disintegrate into just a ball of complete and utter confusion. Okay, so, so here, here's how it works. So, so you can say you have faith, but if you don't have works, then you don't have faith. But see, those works are works that God enables you to do. Well, if God enables us to do works, then why didn't he just enable us then to do all the works without sinning? Hey, God is going to be the one to enable you to do all of these things. Well, if he's enabling me to do all of these things, why can't he just enable me to be perfect? Has he enabled me to be perfect and we just fall short? And so now guess what? I'm saved by faith. I'm declared to be righteous by faith. But if I don't do works, then I'm not saved. 
So which works do I have to do and how many works do I have to do in order to know that I'm saved? And then I'll get, well, it's not a specific amount. It's not a specific kind. It's just a general direction. So a general direction means what? If I have 40% of the works, then I'm good to... Nobody, it just becomes this meaningless, you know what it becomes? It simply becomes a tool for you to determine who's saved and who's not saved. It's for, because that's how it always works. People say, well, see, look at them. Well, without works, you know, faith is dead. That's a dead faith. That's a, yeah, it's good for you to be able to determine that. But, but how about if I turn around and look at you? You're like, well, look at me. I go to church. Yeah, but look at you. You're a backstabbing gossip liar condescending hypocrite jerk. That's what, well, so, but, but, but I have never committed that sin or that sin. Okay. Well, you've got, you've got some outward morality, but there's a lot of problems with you, but that doesn't, that doesn't count. See, it, it, it just becomes this really weird, like slippery slope that nobody knows who's saved or what, what's saved. The only way I know anyone is saved is that they put their faith in Jesus Christ, because if they have, they have the imputed righteousness of Christ and that cannot be condemned based off what they do because it's an imputed righteousness. That's all I can, that's all I can go by. You say, well, they don't live like a Christian. Well, that, that can be addressed. That can be chat. Look, you claim to be a Christian. That's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. And it can be condemned. Just like Paul went after the Corinthians for all the horrible things that was going on in the church of Corinth, but yet he still referred to them as brethren. So, like, I, I, I don't know, you know, but no, we're going to, I'm going to go around judging everyone's works. Okay, so what about the, are you going to judge the imputed righteousness? So, so now this is the way we view it. The, the way we know, we, this is the way many Christians act. The way I know you have imputed righteousness is based off your practical righteousness. Well, that leads to the fact that the imputed righteousness is actually an infused righteousness that produces practical righteousness, which is right back to Roman Catholicism. So this is, I'm still trying to under, he's got, this is, he's brought up some very interesting points, but he's, it's becoming more and more convoluted the more he talks. The more he talks, it's like, so what is it? Liberty is the ability to do what God wants you to do, the complete freedom to do it. Okay, but he's not being able to explain how much freedom do we actually have. And now he's saying that, hey, your faith will produce good works because God will enable you to do those good works. So that seeming to go with the idea that you are enabled to do every good work and that you're free to obey God. Well, then that should mean that there should be perfection within Christianity. Well, you've got over 2,000 years of church history. Go look at it. You're not going to see, you know what you're going to see? Sin, sin, division, fighting, broken marriages, fornication, adultery, you name it. Lying, backbiting, scandal, schism, church splits, just every sin you can think of is present in Christianity at every given period of church history. Why? Because we're still sinners. <laughs> That's why. So in other words, everything about the true gospel can be counterfeited. And if it's counterfeited, friend, that's obviously another ditch. Now, so the Bible's telling us liberty. So over here we said legalism is self-dependence or flesh dependence. And I'm going to ask you to be the licensed people here. License, I'm going to just put it out here. License is going to put it this way. License is flesh indulgence. So you can say that. I'm going to say license is. I want you to say flesh indulgence. License is. Yes, flesh indulgence. It's when, in the, theologically, 
You come up with a cover to do what you want to do. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. I don't care what Bible college is in America. If it's been around any length of time, there are graduates who have gone out of that Bible college and in the name of liberty, indulge their flesh. And I want to tell you something, friends. That's as bad a ditch as the other side. They're both ditches. Now, you say, well, preacher, sure. where are you going with this? Now, I want you to, I want to use an illustration to be a help because I want you to be discerning and think about this because one of the reasons I deal with the moral purity issue is because I believe many times people get defeated in their life and they shift theologically, but it's not because they were convinced theologically to shift. It's because they were defeated. And they've got to give a theological guise for their defeat. Now, let me just use this. Now, that's a very, this is a very interesting point. If you've been defeated in your Christian life, I guess I'm assuming that means you've fallen into some kind of sin. Is it possible that you change your theology simply because you fell into sin? It is very possible, but it just depends on what you mean, change your theology. Let me give you an example. If you fall into sin, and you say, well, I fell into homosexuality and now I no longer believe homosexuality is a sin. Okay, now you're, now you're changing simply to be able to give yourself cover for your sin. That I completely agree and I think that's problematic. But if you fall into sin and then you, for example, you fall into sin and then you're like, you know what? I don't know if we can walk around saying that we have complete freedom to obey God and that we basically now possess the ability to be sinless. I'm going to call that into question because I fell into sin. Now you're not, you're not changing your view to cover your sin or to excuse your sin. You're, 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 cover, you're changing your theology, hopefully in order to have a biblical understanding of why you sin and the danger that sin is still present in you, and then you're going to fight against it. I think when you say a change, it depends on what was changed and why it was changed. Just because someone changes their theology because they fell into sin, that's not necessarily a bad thing. All right, but it can be a bad, it all depends on what the change is and is the change there to draw them closer to God or is the change there to cover their sin so that they can continue in it. We have to make that distinction, all right? Just say, well, they changed their theology because they fell in sin. Well, that's pathetic. Well, okay, but did they change in order to have a better understanding of, of the Bible, of themselves, of the reality of sin? Or do they simply change so that they can continue on in that sin? If it's simply so that they can continue in sin, that's a problem. But if it was a change so that they can hopefully move away from sin and avoid sin, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Really, the, the thing, thing is, is, is the change biblical or is the change unbiblical? It's not the, I mean, change can happen. It doesn't mean something is bad. All right, here we go illustration if I could. Imagine I took this American flag, maybe brought it down front, and we had somewhere, maybe we brought in a kindergartner from one of the schools here, and we brought the kindergartner in. Let's imagine he was a little more of one of the outgoing kids, wasn't shy. We put that flag down here, and I began to get all of you, of course, I can tell you'd get excited about this, and we started to get him pumped, and I told him, I want you to jump and hit that American eagle. We began to chant, we began to even throw some money around. You hit that eagle, we'll give you money. And that little kid jumps as high as he can. I want to ask you a question. In the near future, is he ever going to touch that American eagle? And the answer is, he's not even going to come close. And sooner or later, he's going to realize, I can't do this. So you know what's going to happen? Well, he could give up, right? 
Let's imagine he's about ready to give up, and we're starting to panic on the thing. So I take the American flag, and I compromise the standard. I take it, and I begin to dip it like this so that he can touch the eagle. And we all cheer, and we all think that's great. But you know the truth is, we all know he didn't touch that eagle. We compromised the standard. Now, I don't want you to miss this. You know what that little kid is jumping, trying to hit that? That's legalism. When you try in the strength of the flesh to live the Christian life, you will fail. Don't miss this. Every single time. All right, now, let, let, me, let me change the illustration a little bit. All right, so the little kid trying to jump and kick the eagle on the top of the American flag, that's legalism because he's trying to do it in his flesh. Let, 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 let me explain something. The standard that God provides is be ye holy as I am holy. Let me make it real. Make, I'm going to make it very clear. You will never kick the eagle. You will never reach that standard. Never. Not one time in your Christian life will you ever be as holy as God is holy in your actions. I know you can sit there and say, no, God's going to give you the power. It doesn't work that way. I will be holy as he is holy because his holiness was imputed to me by faith. Therefore, I am as holy as he is holy in my position, in my practice. I'm never going to get a million miles close to it. And if you think that you can, because God's going to give you the liberty to do so, and then by his strength, you can be as holy as he, you're going to be sadly disappointed, and you're probably going to find yourself on TikTok deconstructing your faith because you're going to think it doesn't work. All right, let's continue. The Bible says you will. So here's you keep trying, keep trying, defeated, keep trying, keep trying. Now you have to understand what happens is many times the Bible truth's there, we're just trying to do it our way. We don't want to do it God's way. So, you know, we got a sin issue in our life, we keep it secret like we talked about yesterday. You keep jumping, jumping, and eventually what happens is you're getting ready to give up, and so what do you do? Many times people don't walk away, sometimes people walk away, but sometimes, you know what people do? They compromise the standard. That's license. We all know they compromise the standard. It's not God's standard. They just dumbed it down. Don't miss this. So the flesh could do it. Now, there's one other option we didn't talk about, but I don't want to talk about it now. I could look out here. Here's this little kid. He's about in tears. He wants to touch that eagle. We decide we're not compromising the standard. How are we going to get that kid up to that eagle? And I could look out here in the student body looking for some guy that's got, you know, rippling muscles, some guy that looks like a V. Have you ever noticed that everybody is a different letter in the alphabet? Okay, some people will just leave it at that, okay? They're looking for a guy who's a V. I mean, he's well bit. He's ripped. Uh, he's ripped. He's cut. And uh, we're looking for a guy like that. I'm really not seeing anybody. But anyway, I, I'm looking for somebody like that. And uh, pretty soon we get this guy, he comes up here and I look at that little kid and I said, you think that guy can lift you to touch the eagle? Big eyes, he nods like that. Little effort, this guy just takes him effortlessly, pulls him up there and he touches the eagle and we all cheer. Now don't miss it. You know what happened there? He was lifted to do what he knew he couldn't do. He was lifted with a power that was not his own. My friend, the bad part of that illustration is the power I'm talking about is not outside you, it's inside you. His Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. So here we go. So now you have the power in you to reach the standard. So you're saying I have the power to love 
God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul. I have the power to love my neighbor as myself. I have the power to not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. I have the power to avoid lust. I have the power to avoid you know, wrong anger. I have the power to avoid every sin. I have the power to do it. I can reach the standard. I have the power to be perfect. Okay, that, that sounds good. I've never done it, and no one else has either. In 2,000 years of church history, the only person who was ever perfect was Jesus Christ, and his perfection is imputed to me by faith. If it, was, if it works the way they, oh, this is so common in Christian teaching. If it works the way he's putting out, that he's putting forth, then let me just ask a question. Why did Jesus have to die? Hey, guys, here's the way it works. I mean, just think this, this would make more sense for salvation. Here's the way it works, guys, right? Here we go. If you're going to be saved, you have to be holy. You can't do it on your own, so I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Now, you can be holy. So now go be holy, and then you don't need Jesus to die. It's almost, this is almost the way it works. Jesus died for what you couldn't do, Right? Because you, were, you didn't have the Holy Spirit. So he's there to forgive all of that past stuff. Now, and then, then what, so he takes care of all the past. Then he gives you the Holy Spirit. And then what works for the present into the future is now you have the ability to obey all that God called you to do. And if you don't obey all that God calls you to do, you proved that you never really re- were saved. So all Jesus did was to take care of the past But the present is now based on what you do because now you have the power to do it. And they say, no, 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 no. Jesus takes care of the past, the present, and the future. He does? But you've already said that if I don't do this, this, and this, and this, I prove I was never saved. So what you're really saying, Jesus comes to infuse me with power so that I can now keep the standard of God perfectly. In fact, I could reach the standard. That is... It's Roman Catholicism, everyone. It's literally Roman Catholicism. The Protestant Reformation failed. Okay, that's what happened. All right, let's continue. Name is the Holy Spirit. And he enables you and lifts you to do what you could never do unless God enabled you to do it. See, that's the 0-100. That's liberty. That's the sanctification by faith road. That's the one that has the fingerprints of God on it. That one, that's the one that's supernatural. Let me just say this. You cannot live the Christian life without supernatural intervention. So you have supernatural intervention to live your life. Now, I want you to just understand this claim. We got 2,000 years of church history and we walk around going, okay, look, look, everyone. Okay, neighbor, you don't have the Holy Spirit, but I do. I have a supernatural power. I can have a better marriage than you. I can, have, I can be a better parent than you. I can be better. Now, we would never say it that way, but that's the claim, that we have a supernatural power that enables us to keep God's perfect standard. The problem is 
Anyone who lives in any neighborhood with fellow Christians, those neighbors aren't perfect just like you're not perfect. They have yelling and screaming in their home. There's problems. Marriages fall apart. There's, there's, I mean, all the issues are manifest themselves. In every church, those problems manifest themselves. So then guess what happens? Then you have to turn around and go, well, obviously they don't have the Holy Spirit. Obviously they don't have that power. Obviously they were never saved. So then the person has to constantly go, well, I did this. I must not be saved. I did this. I must not be saved. I did this. I must not be saved. And then at some point they reach the conclusion, well, clearly I'm not saved or clearly this doesn't work. This claim that we have some supernatural power to keep God's perfect standard is ridiculous because clearly it doesn't happen that way. Or why was the apostle Paul saying the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Why did he say that with his flesh, he serves the law of sin? So then you have to say, well, he said that before he was saved. Well, then that, well, that creates all kinds of theological problems. You need Jesus to intervene. And I'm going to tell you something, gang. The great thing about the Christian life, this is going to shock you. The greatest thing about the Christian life, I'm telling you, I know it's going to shock you, is Jesus Christ. (laughs) Because he's the one who meets our needs. He's the one that provides strength. He gives us wisdom. He enables us. He leads us. He does everything we need. And without him, we can do nothing. And I will tell you, if you don't get a hold of this, now here, you, what's going to happen is you'll end up in license. So here's how I've seen it. I've, I've been now in the independent Baptist movement since I was born. My dad was involved in some of the early battles, in the new evangelical battles of the 1950s. If you don't understand that, I'm sure a professor could explain those battles to you. My dad was in the forefront of some of those things. He, he was there the, the day the Southwide Baptist Fellowship was formed, which was uh, one of the issues with the Southern Baptist Convention way back in the day. And uh, my dad had a pastor who was a, a, um, a flaming liberal. He went to a Baptist church, Southern Baptist church, and one day my grandmother walked up to the pastor and said, Pastor, what do you believe about the virgin birth? And the pastor laughed. And he called my grandmother's name, who happened to be Oma. He said, oh, Oma, we all know Jesus was the son of a German soldier. My grandmother turned around, walked out of that church, never came back. My grandmother didn't know the word fundamentalist, but that's what she was. She wasn't going to have a pastor who didn't believe in the virgin birth. So uh, my dad was involved in a lot of those early battles that you don't understand because you don't have historical context. But they were big battles. You wouldn't be here if they weren't fought. But... uh, So I've been an independent Baptist movement. I had a father who understood the early days of the independent Baptist movement and some of the things that happened and some of the men that were thrown out and some of the men that left and all those things that were going on. But here's here's things that I've watched. There's no doubt about it. In the early days of the independent Baptist movements, my dad said we, we were nobodies. He said we had a bunch of storefronts. He said we were despised. He said we had no clout. We had nothing. He said all we had was God. He said, we'd have all-night prayer meetings. Man, we'd get a hold of God. He said, what happened in the 50s and 60s? He said, those independent Baptist churches started busting at the seams. He said, they started growing like nobody's business. And before long, in the 70s, 24 of the 50 states, the largest church was an independent Baptist church. I mean, God was doing some great things. It wasn't perfect, but God was doing some great things. I remember as a little boy being in the heyday of those, uh, those movements and what God was doing. And I, I, can't, I can't speak for the whole movement, but I'm just talking as I kind of look at the movement and wondering what happened? What happened? I don't know, friends, but I think somehow we got out of the prayer closet. 
I'm all for Christian schools. I love Christian schools. I've given my life to Christian schools. I'm glad the 1970s produced Christian schools. But I think in some cases we left our prayer closets to start Christian schools. Not in every case, but in some. And also in 1976, a president was elected. If you're not sure who, check your Google. He was elected. And I mean, I remember most Christians thought it was over. They was, thought it was over, absolutely over. And as a result, political involvement upped. And in 1980, we elected Ronald Reagan into office. I was thrilled. I love Ronald Reagan. He's my favorite president. I probably will be the rest of my life. But, you know, Ronald Reagan was not the Messiah. And I'm not trying to be irreverent. He wasn't even close. The answer for America was not Ronald Reagan. It was Jesus Christ. I'm not, I want you to understand that's what we needed. But we left our prayer closet, I think, to elect Ronald Reagan into office. Somewhere along the line, here's what happens. We suddenly move from God dependence and we move to flesh dependence. And when you move to flesh dependence, you mark my words, in a matter of time, you will be defeated. So what happens after a little bit of self-dependence? You can't hit the standard anymore. So here's my point. Legalism always leads to license unless you meet Jesus. And I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about the Christian life. See, what happens if you try to live the Christian life in your own strength? You realize, I can't do this. I can't do this. So either you meet Jesus who daily enables you to do the impossible and start living a supernatural life, or you compromise the standard and come up with a theological cover to cover you why you've done that. See, so, so he's literally saying that Jesus supernaturally enables you to hit the standard or keep the standard. That would mean he enables you to live a sinless life, or unless you're going to say the standard is not a sinless life. God demands holiness. He demands perfection. Well, you can now you can meet that. So after your salvation, you can meet it. Well, that what? How can you even preach that? See, and, and he's almost arguing that if you argue against that, see, you just want to cover for your sin. You just want to lower the standard. I'm not lowering the standard. The standard will always be perfection. The only way I meet that standard is by an imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. Justification by grace alone through faith alone. Like the whole thing the Protestant Reformation was about. This literally, as someone who went to a Catholic university and had to write plenty of papers from a Catholic, and I, only read, and I went at, to the Catholic university as a Baptist pastor so that I could have a better understanding of Catholic theology so that when I spoke of it, I could do so with some level of knowledge and not ignorance. Guess what? That's, that's Catholicism. You're infused with righteousness and you must cooperate with it. And if you don't cooperate with it enough, then you may no longer be in a state of grace and then you have to go to do penance. In other words, at least Catholicism has a system in place, all right? Here's what you have to do. Okay, you do this. You can, you can do penance. You can do this. You can, do, you can get an indulgence. Okay, all of these, they've got at least some kind of a weird mathematical formula that you can figure out to keep you in a state of grace. Here in the independent fundamental Baptist concept is, okay, now you have the power to keep the standard. But if you don't keep it enough, if you don't keep it enough, then that proves that you never got saved. Because now what proves your salvation is the practical righteousness, not the imputed righteousness. This becomes, to me, this becomes legalism. (laughs) Okay, let's continue. See, that's what happens. Legalism leads to license. And I don't know if you've ever seen this. I've seen it now many times. Here's a, a family in a church, very conservative. 
but yet I'm a little unnerved by it because they seem to be condescending, don't seem to have a heart for souls, and they seem to have high standards, but there's some other things not there, and they seem to be a little harsh and whatever. And then you notice, uh, find out a few years later, they've left the church, they've gone down to the edge of town to the loosey-goosey church, come as you are, leave as you were, everything goes church, you know what I'm talking about? You're thinking, what happened? What happened? Threw all the standards out the door. What happened? Well, actually, what happened wasn't much of a movement at all. They went from flesh dependence to flesh indulgence. Did you notice there was the same word? They moved from one kind of flesh to another kind of flesh, and it really wasn't that big a move at all. I'm telling you, you walk with Jesus, you're not going to leave him. Nothing's going to get you. No compromise will get you to leave Jesus. See, but if you're on flesh dependence, you can easily move to flesh indulgence. It's a lot easier. Listen, I wouldn't be surprised. Some of you know people. One day seem to be straight as an arrow. Now you're thinking, what happened? And now you've even considered doing the very same thing. And I guarantee you, in many cases, you've considered to do it because you're defeated in your own Christian life. See, legalism leads to license. You need to understand that. Now, so we've talked about this uh, over here. Now, well, let me put it this way. You say, well, what's the big deal, flesh dependence? What's the big deal of flesh indulgence? Well, let me just get to chapter 6 because that's where, of course, the book, last chapter of the book, and it's a verse you all know. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap. You help me out now. Corruption. Let me just say this. You can depend on your flesh. You can try as hard as you can. You can grit your teeth. You can depend on your flesh, but I promise you something, you will reap corruption. Or you can go over here, you can throw the rules out. You can just come up with your reasons why you go down to the movie theater and watch stuff that grieves Almighty God. You can watch the bed scenes, the filth, and somehow theologically cover yourself. You can go out and look at internet junk. You can make compromise. You can go put the big rock band on the stage. You can do that. But you mark my words, you will reap corruption every single time. See, the flesh... (laughs) It always turns into music and movies, music and movies, music and movies, music and movies. I've known plenty of people who didn't listen to the music or watch the movies and they still fell into sin. Okay. None of this just, it's just so, oh man, it is so, I I think he's onto something here. Flesh dependency can lead to flesh indulgence. If we depend on the flesh, we can end up indulging the flesh, but he's making an argument that we don't have to, we don't have to depend on the flesh and we don't have to indulge the flesh because if we just walk by faith, God will give us the supernatural ability and power to rise above all of this and keep the standard. It sounds good. I think he's onto something. How can we be dependent upon the flesh and in and, and a very negative way that leads us ultimately to flesh indulgence? That is a concept that I'm going to have to work on and think more about. But his solution is that God just supernaturally gives you the power to basically be perfect. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. Always, always reaps corruption. Hey, listen, go drop kick the rule book when you leave. Do that if you want to, but you mark my words. When you feed your flesh, you give me a amount of time and you're going to harvest corruption. You're going to hire, listen, some of you headed that way. Because I know what it is, we've got an internet out there. And some of you get on there and say, oh, that guy looked cool, and that looked cool. But I'm telling you, you walk away from a life of faith, and I'm telling you, you indulge in the flesh. God makes it very clear in Galatians, you're going to reap corruption. The book of Galatians is all about the spirit and the flesh. 
And it's trying to warn us of the danger of flesh dependence and the danger of flesh indulgence. You say, okay, preacher, I think I'm kind of seeing it now. Yeah, flesh dependence, that's no good. Flesh indulgence, that's no good. But what do you do with the flesh on the Christ, you know, the, the liberty road, the Christ road? What do you do there? Well, look at verse 24 of chapter 5, and we'll land the airplane right here. It says, and they that are Christ's. Well, let me just stop for a moment. Some might think that's talking about just a believer. I believe it's talking about a surrendered believer because if you look through the chapter 5, it's talking about people who are walking in the Spirit. Not all Christians walk in the Spirit. So they that are Christ, I believe, is those that have surrendered to Christ who are walking in the Spirit. They that are Christ, here it is, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Now, since we have some Greek scholars in the room, I'm using the word scholar very loosely, but... Um, since we have some Greek scholars in the room, I want to point out something. If you look at Galatians 2.20, it says, I am crucified with Christ. That's passive in voice. Do you know what you have to do to be crucified with Christ? And here's what you have to do. Get saved, and it automatically happens. Passive voice means it just happens because you, you took the step or whatever. Uh, in that case, it's talking about salvation. So if you're saved, you may not even realize it, but you've been crucified with Christ. Did you know that? <laughs> J. Vernon McGee one time was at Calvary, and he bought off a Muslim. There's a Muslim graveyard on top of uh, the Golgotha. Maybe you know that, maybe you don't, but he paid off a guard there to get on top of, of Golgotha. And uh, the guy was with him, and, and J. Vernon McGee was deeply moved. And uh, the guy, watchman, looked at him and said, uh, you ever been here before? He said, yeah, I have. He said, when were you here? I love his answer. 2,000 years ago. <laughs> if you're saved, you've been to Calvary, <laughs> You were there 2,000 years ago. You were crucified with Christ. That's passive. But here in verse 24 of chapter 5, I was amazed when I was studying. I was expecting it to be passive, but it's not. It's active. You know what that means? It's a decision you need to make. In other words, it's like this. People who are surrendered to Jesus Christ are people who crucify the flesh. In fact, it's the aorist tense. I'm not going to go into it, but I personally believe this is what they call a constitutive aorist, which would, if you were taking Greek, it would be like a dotted line. In other words, it's a series of crucifixions. You know what I found? When you surrender to the Lord, he brings you periodically to a flesh crucifixion. And if you're walking with Jesus, surrender to him, living in dependence upon him, you know what happens? There'll be a series of flesh crucifixions in your life, don't miss this, that will make you. You know one of the things I'm concerned about, millennials and Gen Zers, no offense. I work with them all the time, give my life for you, for your generation. But the thing that, occurred, that it really gets me concerned is they don't know much about crucifying the flesh. Their theology is why they don't have to crucify the flesh. They're always coming out of reasons why they don't have to do this. But I look back at the older generation, and I will tell you, many of them were made by a series of decisions in their youth where they crucified the flesh. I'm thinking of a well-known preacher. You may, by the way, as I give these illustrations, you may never have thought of them. They may not be your issues. God has a, a road for each one of us. God knows there are certain areas that we need to crucify too that maybe others don't. I, don't, I understand that because of your background, temptations, all kinds of things, that God kind of sometimes gives us different applications. I understand all that. I remember hearing a message by a preacher that, I wouldn't necessarily agree with on everything, but he definitely, I'd have to admit, has, is a man of faith and God has used him. But he talked about two decisions in his youth that absolutely defined him. 
He said he bought a, a Western novel. He saved up his money. This was back when money wasn't real prevalent, kind of like when you're in Bible college. But anyway, and uh, he saved up all money and got this Western novel and began reading it, and he noticed that there were curse words in it. Pretty soon, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you, you shouldn't be reading that. He said, I remember as a teenage boy walking over to the burn barrel. If you're not sure what that is, find somebody who's really old and they'll tell you what that is. But anyway, he said, I walked over to the burn barrel, and he said, I threw that book in there. He said, that was a defining moment in my life. He said, the way I got money, he said, I threw newspapers. I know this is really dated. I, I threw newspapers, and he said, I began to look at the newspapers and noticed that they advertised movies I would never want anybody to see. He said, I went down to the newspaper company, and I quit my job. Oh, man. Oh, man, man, man. Okay, so he burned a book. Yeah, that's always, uh, that's a good Christian step. You know, burn some books. Don't even get me started on burning books, okay? Because it had some words in it that we didn't like, okay? Uh, All right. And then, so the newspaper advertises movies he doesn't want anyone to see. He doesn't want lost people watching these kinds of movies. So he quit his job. So that people wouldn't get the newspaper that would see those advertisements for like, what in the world is? (sighs) Okay. All right. This is almost over. We're already over an hour. So we got to finish this. Because I didn't want to be a part of anybody going to see something that might cause them uh, to get into sin or get away from God, maybe not get saved. He said that decision was two defining decisions in my life. For some of you in this room, you know what you're thinking right now? Oh, that's nothing. And I'm going to tell you why. Because you've made so much compromises in your life, you don't even understand how to crucify the flesh. See, crucifying the flesh defines you. You say, how do you, how do you know? The Holy Spirit will tell you. He'll tell you. He'll say, you need to stop watching that. He'll say, you need to stop, you need to stop going through YouTube indiscriminately. You need to stop that. You need to be. So the Holy Spirit now, say now, now, see now. <laughs> Now we're, now we're back to basically uh, getting away from sola scriptura because now the Holy Spirit's going to tell you. So what happens if you're watching and the Holy Spirit doesn't tell you to stop watching it? So the Holy Spirit's going to tell you. The Holy Spirit now talks to you. Apart from scripture, apart from scripture, the Holy Spirit's now going to tell you what you can watch, what you can do. The Holy Spirit's now speaking to you all the time. This is, this is, this is, this is the influence of charismatic theology, even in the independent fundamental Baptist world. He'll, he'll show you. He'll show you. You need to get rid of that social media account. That's no good for you. You need to stop that. Holy Spirit will tell you. You say, well, I know somebody else that does it. Hey, it doesn't matter. They're different than you. God may be dealing with them. Who knows? You just got to do what God tells you to do. See, you got to crucify the flesh. And my dad was 14 years old. I wouldn't be here the preaching this morning if this had not occurred. My dad was 14 years old on a Saturday afternoon sitting in a movie theater. And... Uh, you have to understand, my, my parents, uh, grandparents left that church. They went to another Southern Baptist church that was evangelical and didn't have a liberal pastor, but it was weak on personal separation. And uh, so my dad was sitting here on a, a Saturday afternoon, and he was getting ready to watch a movie called Sergeant York. Probably some of you have seen the black and white. Really nothing with content wrong, wrong, wrong with the movie, but he was sitting there in that movie theater, and he said, the Holy Spirit of God arrested him and said, Wayne, what are you doing there? And my dad looked around, and you ever, you ever talk to God like this? He said, well, God, you see, there's the deacon's kids over there, and there's the pastor's kids, and there's a deacon right over there. You know how that is. And um, it's like the Holy Spirit of God said to him, 
Wayne, here's, and then my dad said, but God, it's also a Christian movie. Sergeant York's Christian movie. And it was like the Holy Spirit of God said to my dad, Wayne, here's the problem. Next week, you will all be back. And it will not be Sergeant York. And my dad saw it because he'd been enough to movies that had compromised his conscience. He saw it. And he said that day he walked out of that movie theater, he looked up toward heaven, he said, I'm God and a 14-year-old boy, he said, I'm making you a promise, I will never go to a movie theater again. And he never did. Now, I, uh, I don't even know what this has to do anymore. Now, now this is just, now you're just getting right back to, hey, these are the rules, these are the rules. He, he, so in other words, what he's saying, what the best thing to do is never go to a movie. Don't ever read a book that has a cuss word. You stay off social media. So, and I, and now he, he, uh, he says, now, wait a minute, it may not be what the Holy Spirit's working on you, but it's clearly implied that these are the things you're supposed to be doing. That if you're really going to be living a godly life, in other words, if you're really going to be able to touch the eagle on the top of the flagpole, this is what the Holy Spirit's going to lift you up with the ability to do. So you're going to stop all of that entertainment, and all you're going to do is listen to sermons, read your Bible, evangelize, and sleep, and, and go to church and pray, and that's basically it. Because basically all forms of entertainment... Are, are somehow going to be sinful. So, but, but that's not legalism. That's not legalism. That's not legalism. That's not legalism. And, and you're going to have the ability to do all of this. And, 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 and isn't it interesting that it's always, when, it, when you listen to these sermons, it's never about pride or gossip or slander or, or, or this kind of thinking. It's no, it's always movies, movies, social media, rock and roll. It's, it's how you dress. It's always these very, like the most external, surface level things that you can uh, go after is always what you go after. And so that's, that's what the Holy Spirit will reach, will lead you to reach a standard so that you can have an external righteousness that looks like you're, you're, you've conformed to God's standard, but it's just an outward form. It's what it, but all right, let's continue. That was a defining moment in his life. When he made that decision, he said, I thought I was the only Christian in the world that didn't go to the movie theater. He said, later, I discovered the independent Baptists and found there are a lot more nutty people just like me. <laughs> that was back in the day. His own mother didn't even take that position. She finally did as a result of his, his um, uh, example, took the same position. He said, that was a defining moment in my life. Well, he became a young priest, got, got out of Bible college, got a young church. It was running about 50. And thing grew like, got people saved, grew up to about 150. Man, it was great. But he was part of the convention of his youth. He'd go to the meetings and he was getting more and more disturbed, more and more troubled. It was like the Spirit of God said, you need to leave the convention of your youth. My dad uh, finally presented it to the deacons, presented it to the church, and they, of course, most of them were new converts and said, Preacher, we're behind you. Whatever you say, we, we'll, we'll trust you. We're going to follow you on this. So the Constitution said, okay, you've got a public, you've got to say, okay, we're going to have a Wednesday night meeting, and you have to give two weeks or three weeks, whatever it was, and they did everything they were to do, and the convention found out about it, and they were furious. My dad was just a kid preacher, probably the age of some of you in this room, probably about 25, 26, something like that. And pastors, uh, leaders began to call him and said, if you leave our convention, we will ruin you. We will make sure you never preach in a church of any size ever again. Nice people, you know what I'm talking about? Nice people. I mean, it was a battle. 
My dad said it looked like David and Goliath. It was like that convention was going to bury them. Please note, please note. So all the people in the convention, right, supposedly have the Holy Spirit who supernaturally enables them to keep the standard. Oh, no, 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 no. Now you're going to view the people in the convention as not obviously having the Holy Spirit because they're not saved because look at what they're doing. Are you going to say that they were saved? Because if they were saved, why is it that over and over and over throughout church history, we see these fights and I'm going to destroy you and I'll bring you down. And if you, if you, if you start a church, I'll take you down. If you listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll supposedly was telling someone, if you, if you start a church, I will destroy you. That kind of, that kind of discussion and actions. I've seen it happen. People try to destroy you. Christians, instead of trying to restore you, they will destroy you. Well, well, wait a minute. I thought they have the Holy Spirit that enabled. Oh, so then I guess I can say, well, everyone who did that to me wasn't saved. Everyone, you see that it, no, the reality is Christians are messed up and they fight and they divide and they destroy and they're self-seeking, arrogant, condescending jerks because that's what we are in our sinful nature, including me. It doesn't excuse it, but your whole point was trying to say that we have liberty and we're now free from all of that. No, we're not. We'll never be free of it until we are in the presence of God. So they were scared to death. My dad made a mistake. You know what the mistake was? In that particular convention, they were famous for having way more people on the rolls than you had to attend. And he forgot to purge the rolls. So the convention got all the people who never intended in who knows how long to come, and it looked like they were going to lose. I mean, they lose the building, they lose the property, lose everything. The day came for that boat to leave the convention. God has a sense of humor. You know what he did? This is Miami, Florida. He sent a hurricane. Phone lines went down. Nobody could communicate. No cell phones back then. I know that's hard for you to believe. I mean, no communication. So the people that were for pulling out said, man, we love our preacher. Some of them had to get their waders on, you know, like baptismal waders, the ones they use for fishing. They had to get down there. Some got on their boats and floated down the church because the bottom part of the church was completely submerged in water. Hey, I went up into a little upper room and put some candles because there were no lights and, and uh, enough people showed up. They needed 25 for a quorum and they had 27 voting members show up. They voted 26 to 1 to leave that convention. And I'm telling you, the next day that convention was furious. They said, we'll sue you, we'll take you to law. They took them to law, they sued them, and the court said the meeting was legal, it stands. And David fell Goliath. I remember in my dad's last few years of life before he died, I remember him several times saying to me, Jim, when I left the convention of my youth, I thought it would ruin me. But it did not ruin me. It made me. That's called flesh crucifixion. And friends, every single one of you in this room this morning, you're either in one ditch or the other or you're on the, the true gospel road, the flesh crucifixion road, the liberty road, the 0-100 road, the t- total dependence on God. So over here, legalism is flesh dependence and that, of course, is not going to work. Liberty is God dependence and, of course, license is flesh indulgence. Now, I want to warn you, young person. If you walk the liberty road, it won't be always easy. But I will tell you this. You will see the supernatural fingerprints of your God, on God on your life every day. And I don't know about you. I want to live a life that cannot be explained unless you put God in the equation. Can I ask every head bowed and every eye closed? Heads are bowed. 
There you have it. It's Hiles Anderson College. Uh, we There's only a couple of seconds left where he's doing like the invitation. Um, and you can say, well, you want me to subscribe to a podcast that you just had massive disagreements with? Yes, I do. Because you know what that just told me? That just showed me how what kind of thinking is going to be in the church 10 years from now, 15 years from now, that kind of mindset's going to show up in churches all over the country because there's young men sitting right there in that sanctuary on that particular chapel service taking notes and they're going to carry those ideas and it's going to show up in their preaching and in their teaching. And you need to be aware of that mentality. I don't even know exactly how that all is supposed to play out. He doesn't, he doesn't do anything to really give us any meaningful way of the way that looks. Right, you either have flesh dependency or flesh indulgence, or you have God dependency. Well, I've got no problem saying liberty is God dependency, but you're saying that if I depend on God by faith, then He enables me supernaturally to be free to live and meet the standard. The only problem is, no, read the entire Bible. Everywhere, everything in the Bible is about Christians. Look, every letter of the New Testament is written to churches filled with Christians who are committing all kinds of sins. All kinds of problems. Sin is the constant reality of the Christian life. That's how come we have to be saved by grace through faith, by an imputed righteousness, because if we are saved in it, if our salvation has anything to do with what we do or don't do, we are going to be condemned. And I don't know why Christians cannot figure that out. It's always this idea that, no, 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 no. Now you're free. Now you have power. Now you're free. Now you have power. Yeah. And then you're going to sin, 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 sin. And then, and then now, and how you know you have that power is by you start meeting these arbitrary standards of you don't read books that have bad words in it. And you don't go to the movie theater and boom, dun, 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 you've made it. So you, so in a sense, you lower the standard. In fact, in some ways you make the standard those very things, which I've seen in the independent fundamental, fundamental Baptist world over and over and over and over. But there it is. Hiles Anderson College. That's the spotlight. We put the, uh, that's the podcast we put the spotlight on for today. And I want you to subscribe so that you can hear what's going on in that world of Christianity and what that world of Christianity is going to look like five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. There, subscribe to it. Hiles Anderson. I'll stop right there. You can email me your thoughts about that sermon and about all of that. Liberty, license, legalism, all of that, whatever you have to say, you can email me newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, or you can discuss in the Discord channel, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what people have to say in regards to what we just covered. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.